Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, welcome back. So I'm really tired today. So somebody else is going to have to be the hype man for this episode. This podcast has worn me out. This is Michelle Bishop, and I am the Voter Access and Engagement Manager at NDRN and one third of your podcast hosting team. And I'm Stephanie Flint, Public Policy Analyst, and I am going to try to be the podcast hype lady, but I've only had half a cup of coffee today, so... Oh no, Raquel, please have energy. Hey, this is Raquel. I have had lots of coffee. I am also full-time on the external relations team. I am your community relations specialist, full-time, live and in color, and I am the three of three in your podcast family today. Yay. Congrats on your move to communications, Raquel. Jack, insert the applause sound here. Oh, and we, as usual, forgot to introduce our producer, Jack Rosen. Hey, Jack. Thanks for everything. Our guest today is NDRN's very own public policy analyst, Claire Stanley. Claire began working at NDRN in December of 2020. Prior to her position here, she worked as an advocate with the American Council of the Blind, where she advocated for the rights of blind and visually impaired persons. Uh, Claire has previously worked at two PNAs at Disability Rights California as a summer legal extern and with Disability Rights DC at University Legal Services as a legal fellow under the PAMI program. Claire received her BA in political science and communication from the University of California, Davis, and a JD from the University of California, Irvine. That, that, that. What am I missing here? Stephanie, I don't actually know what that is either. So you're <laughs> Okay, that makes me feel better. Okay, sorry for holding the world up. Hi, this is Danielle, and I was a tour guide at UC Irvine. So Quick history on the anteater. Long story short, UC Irvine was a university that started in the 60s, and as part of their funky hippie rebellion, they had a school vote where they, the students, despite what the administration wanted, they all decided to write in that they would become anteaters. They won the next sporting event, and so the school officially became anteaters. And so now the UC Irvine chant is rip them eaters, zot, zot, zot. All right. And now back to our show. Claire, um, recently Raquel and I had the chance to try out a Waymo when we were at our annual conference in Phoenix. It was a pretty weird experience being in a self-driving car took a little bit to get used to but we we keep hearing these companies talk about themselves as a solution to some of the transportation barriers facing people with disabilities on the other hand we also noticed that the Waymo we were in might not be accessible to a lot of people with disabilities so i was wondering if you can talk about the um, potential that these autonomous vehicles have and maybe some of the challenges. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, And thank you for having me here today. There is a lot of excitement in the disability community on the potential 
benefits that can come from autonomous vehicles or AVs, you might hear me say for short. But of course, it's like anything, if you don't design it with accessibility in mind, uh, going back and retrofitting it is not going to work so well. And then it's going to leave our whole community behind. And so we, I've heard a lot of us in this field um, compare it to retrofitting a building, right? If you don't install elevators and ramps, from the beginning, it's going to be really hard to fix it. And so the same thing goes with autonomous vehicles. So there's a lot of great potential for those of us who are blind or have low vision. Uh, driving a traditional car is, for the most part, impossible with the you know, exception of a few people who have some assistive technology. Um, but all that to say, it would open up that door. But not just for the blind and low vision. I've heard talk for people with cognitive or intellectual and developmental disabilities for the older community, which would be wonderful. So they can get to places like doctor's appointments, especially for people who live in rural areas where um, public transportation and um, subsequently paratransit just don't even exist. Um, persons who use wheelchair or other um, mobility devices. So there's a lot of potential, which is exciting um, because when you talk to people in the disability advocacy space, you'll often hear that one of the biggest barriers to just engaging in the community is lack of transportation, public transportation, um, things like that. And so if we have access to these autonomous vehicles, we can truly independently get around without having to be reliant on other resources that are often unreliable, expensive, things like that. But like you said, there's definitely some potential um, pitfalls or um, you know negative consequences that could come about. We have talked, and when I say we, that's the general disability community. We've talked to a lot of the major car companies, the OEMs that are developing these, um, and a lot of them have said that they'll make them accessible for people with disabilities. But, you know, they can say so much. But when the rubber hits the road, um, you know, will will it actually happen? So I'll just give a couple of examples and then feel free to ask questions and I can expand. But we need things like physical access. So if you're a wheelchair user or using another mobility device, you obviously need um, the ability to enter the car um, safely. Um, if you're blind or have another sensory disability like um, deafness or a part of hearing, you might need what we call human machine interface, HMI. So that's things like text to speech or large print, things like that. Again, if you have an intellectual or developmental disability, we want the interaction to be you know, straightforward and not too complicated, all kinds of things like that. Um, even thinking about like the elderly community and making it simple for them. A lot of us suspect that a lot of these will initially be used through your smartphone. What about people who don't have a smartphone, don't want to use a smartphone, can't use a smartphone? Um, so again, the opportunities are amazing, but the barriers are definitely there if we don't think about it. So Claire, could you give us a couple of recommendations about how we could ask these companies such as Waymo to improve their accessibility in their vehicles? That's a great question. So I guess that's a hard answer because a lot of the, again, the we, the disability community have already been asking them. Um, we've had some really great conversations, but again, our fear is that you can talk and talk all day long. And then when the rubber hits the road, no pun intended, car jokes, you know, will they actually carry it out? So I guess the question is, you know, can we develop these relationships and really keep them going, which, of course, you know, the optimist in us all wants to believe that's true. And NDRN and other disability advocacy organizations are really staying on top of those relationships. But of course, at the end of the day, 
you know, it's an industry. It's a, a you know, a, a company that wants to make money. And so will they carry it out? So I guess I have two thoughts there. One, of course, we should continue to be whispering in their ear or maybe yelling in their ear um, so that they don't forget us. But then there's also perhaps a policy side to it. Do we need to, um, on the policy side, mandate that it happens or will it not happen? So, um, you know, it's hard. Again, the optimist in me wants to say if we continue these relationships that already exist, um, things will get done. But then the policy side of me says, do we need to implement law that'll require it so that we know that it'll happen? So I wish I could say there was an easy answer. NDRN and several other organizations were fortunate to go to the autonomous vehicle. Oh, I'm going to get the wrong name wrong, but it's basically a, a caucus that has formed in Congress. And we were invited to one of their meetings about a month ago. And we went and we got to meet some of the industry partners, which was exciting because we got to actually physically look at some of the cars, which was really fun. Um, And we were able to talk to some of the Congress members there um, who are leading the cause and leading some of the legislation. So um, again, I think it's a mix of interacting with the companies, interacting with the Congress members who are helping to push this along, um, push it down the road. Let's see how many car jokes I can make. But yeah, it's, it's not a clear cut answer, but just continuing to make sure that our voice is heard in every you know, segment of the process as it rolls down the road. Thanks, Claire. Um, I, I think you bring up a really good point about how these companies are truly, uh, they're trying to meet needs, but at the end of the day, they're trying to make money off of it. And I think our collective approach also includes how we talk about an economic benefit for everybody. When everybody has access, that's that's good for all of us. So I really appreciate you giving us those tips and and ideas. I think that's a really good point because we say that in the transportation space, in the advocacy world, in all forms of transportation, whether it be autonomous vehicles or public transit, et cetera. um, We always make the argument that if people in our situation, people with disabilities have uh, access to transportation, we can do more, i.e. go to work go to businesses and spend our money. Um, you know, you got to get out and out to be part of the community. And so I think that's a great point that if we have access to that, we can be another customer um, in the industry and we can be other employed individuals. And so, you know, involvement um, makes makes everything um, contribute to the community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that you pointed out the access to transportation. I know that there are, Um, There are some folks who, of course, have some weariness around, you know, the autonomous vehicle space. I, you know, I've definitely heard folks back home go, why can't you just keep using Uber and Lyft? And I will not get on my soapbox like I did my first episode of the podcast. If you want to go back and hear my Uber and Lyft denial stories, uh, feel free to do that or feel free to go find me on TikTok. But all that to say, you know, being denied rides, right, because you have a disability or even not being able to access, you know, ride shares and that sort of thing, you know, having this whole new world of autonomous vehicles that kind of opens that door, knowing that, you know, when you're requesting a ride, right, that like the autonomous vehicle is not going to deny you based on a disability or a service animal. So, I mean, I know that we both kind of share those commonalities and those experiences as well. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And in fact, um, I like that you emphasize comparing it to rideshare companies because a lot of the major industry um, competitors we've spoken to, like Waymo, Waymo can't talk, um, who created these, have told us that at least the first iteration, which who knows how many years that'll last, will not be privately owned cars or vehicles like you know most of us grew up with. Um, they will be more of a rideshare model. Um, so unless you're the wealthiest of the wealthy, you're probably not going to have an AV sitting in your driveway or garage. And more of it, most of it's going to be a rideshare kind of situation. So you're exactly right. Um, those of us, you know, the general population who are using it, which hopefully will be everybody based on accessibility um, and affordability, which is a totally other topic we could go down. Um, but based on that, it'll be a rideshare model and then anybody can use it. And like you said, exactly. Um, a car, hopefully, cannot discriminate. A car is not going to talk and say, I don't want your service dog. You can't get in. One other thing I wanted to say as far as accessibility, I had talked about the fact that access is important for both physical access and HMI or human machine interface. One other thing that has been discussed as far as accessibility is just being able to find the vehicle itself for persons who are blind or have low vision. Um, you know, the app on our phone may say it's a red Mustang convertible. That would be awesome. Um, but we're not able for the most part to see the red Mustang convertible. So there's been talk about things like haptics that'll vibrate to tell you when you're getting closer, um, a beeping sound coming from the car. So getting creative with those um, this would be the same for persons with perhaps intellectual or developmental disabilities, making it very straightforward on finding your car. We've heard discussions from some uh, car industries that they are not making it as easy to have the car pull up right on the corner where the curb cut is so the a wheelchair user or other mobility devices could easily uh, use the curb cut and get in the car. Um, we've heard directly from those companies that some prefer to pull up more mid road. Well, that's not going to work for people who use, um, you know, mobility devices. So really advocating for the cars to know to pull up at the safest spot close to a curb cut, things like that. So it's not just using the car itself, but it's even finding the car and being able to get into it for the first from the beginning. So that's another area of advocacy that's going on in this space. I think we are on the same wavelength, Claire. I was going to ask you uh, what your wish list might include, and it sounds like you've identified some of those items. And to your point about having the car pull up in a seamless way for entry, um, I remember, and I don't know, Jack, if you took photos or videos of this, I know I didn't, but when our car approached, it was almost like the older brother in the wonder years who was like, press the accelerator and then stop and then press the accelerator and stop. And like, so he's joking <laughs> with his brother, like get in the car and then psych and that kind of thing. And that's kind of what it felt like at first. And we could not figure out how we're supposed to get the vehicle to stop and get, get us inside. So um, that part was a, a bit of a hiccup. Um, and I would imagine that for anybody requiring um, modifications or or just universal design to get in easily, right, um, that that is a barrier. Uh, that could definitely be a safety issue where wheelchairs, mobility aids, feet, dogs uh, are concerned. Exactly. You know, somebody 
um, might, you know, an elderly individual might just take a couple of minutes longer just by virtue of, you know, their age. Um, if a wheelchair ramp has to be deployed, that's going to take more time. I have a service dog, you know, if I get in first, she has to follow me. That's going to take extra time. So definitely all those variables to consider. I'll just throw out one other thing. There's um, several pieces of legislation that are considering these issues. Um, there were two different laws in both the Senate and the House back in 2018, I want to say, but they got, you know, sidelined because of the COVID pandemic. And so um, they kind of lost steam for a while. But we we hear that things are bubbling up to the surface again. I had talked about those those leads in uh, Congress who were that we met with. So they're starting to bubble up again. And they include a lot of different things. But one thing that we talked about back in 2018, and we're talking about again, that I think is important is an element about who would qualify to be able to use autonomous vehicles. Not everywhere, but at the state level, there'd been murmurs in a lot of different states that you would still have to pass the general test to have a driver's license to use an autonomous vehicle, which of course is terrifying to the disability community when we're making the point that because of AVs, you know, the non-traditional driver will be able to use them. That's what's so exciting. And yet states for control reasons, I'm not sure what their thought process is. They're saying in certain situations that people would still have to have a traditional driver's license. And so in several of the pieces of legislation that we've supported, that's been a big element of the law that we have said, yes, yes. And we've pointed to and said, you know, please don't, you know, inadvertently cut us out because people are anxious and they just want to hold on to what they know when we're saying our community should be able to use these. Absolutely. As somebody who does not own a vehicle by choice, um, I think that that's a, another just another pathway for people who may need to get somewhere quickly and not rent a vehicle or hail a taxi or take the bus or whatever. Yeah, I think all of all of what you're saying, Claire, is uh, totally in alignment with just universal access and that's that's all we want. And I think that's uh, I think we've got a lot to uh, to keep marching on for. Exactly. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. This was fantastic and really fascinating for those of us who did not ride uh, in an autonomous vehicle for this episode. So thank you so much for joining us, Claire. We really appreciate it. And I think a couple of us got to ride in an autonomous vehicle for the spotlight story. Take it away. All right, so now we are going to listen to a sound clip of Jack Marsha Baldwin, who is our Deputy Executive Director for Training, Technical Assistance, and Operations, and I. We are all in the vehicle and kind of giving a uh, on-the-ground experience as it navigated from the restaurant we had dinner back to the hotel. It... It was a pretty surreal experience, I think. Um, definitely pros and cons. We're really looking forward to having you all listen to it. And uh, you should hit us up with your thoughts. Jack, what's our email address? Jack, how can people send us feedback? So you disappear. Wait, should I jump? I guess. Jack's <laughs> <laughs> voice has changed. It's podcast <laughs> at nbrn.org. Anyway, Excellent. <laughs> our loyal listeners can reach us anytime at podcast at nbrn.org. That's right. We want to hear from David Boyer, Tina Pinedo, 
my mom card. Yes. And Michelle's mom, because <laughs> I can confirm as of this morning that my mom does not listen to the podcast. Oh, so no. All, Another mom call. All four or five of our listeners, please email us and please let us know what you think about our experience taking Waymo. Hello from Waymo. So we are recording this episode or something of the Panda Pod from a self-driving car seeing if this can uh, solve a lot of mobility concerns for people with disabilities. I don't know, what's your initial reactions? I am a little nervous, to be honest. It... Yeah, it's, it's pretty strange to see the wheel in motion and nobody's behind it. It's like a haunted vehicle. Yeah. Um... <laughs> This is Marsha. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and as the mom of a person on the autism spectrum who does not drive, I can't wait for driverless cars to become the norm. And as a person who chooses not to drive, this sounds like a really nice backup situation. Yeah, I uh, I could get around like this. Okay, so it's got a few options in it. You can tell it to pull over. Uh, you can call support. Hopefully we will not be needing that one. And we can play music. Uh, I don't think we'll be using that one quite yet since we want to be able to get the audio. Yeah. But, you know, it does a decent job turning, I have to say. Smooth. I was worried it was going to be a little jerkier. Yeah. It is definitely staying off the main roads. Yeah. Yes. yes. It is taking a circuitous route. Ooh, Marsha, I think you have your future on the panda, pa uh, panda pod. <laughs> on the panda pod. Sorry, this is a one-time guest appearance only. <laughs> Dave Boyer, read it and weep. Marsha's on the pod and you are not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, mom, who's not listening. Mom, I'm in a driverless car. <laughs> Okay, let's see. It's at a stop sign. It stopped. And we've got people across the street. It acknowledges that there are yeah. people around and it is driving with caution. That's a better stop than I do when I drive. I know, right? Same. Yes, it did a full stop. It was not a rolling stop. Oh, okay. It knew there was a speed bump and slowed down. You know what? I miss that sometimes. So this thing might be a better driver than me and Marsha. nice. <laughs> I've been in Marsha's car. She's a very good driver. Okay. <laughs> uh, but as somebody who takes public transit all the time, I can say that this is much smoother than a lot of bus drivers. So now we're behind an ice cream truck. Ooh, ice cream. That is going... Very slowly. Less yeah. than 10 miles per hour. Yeah. In the middle of the night through a... Residential neighborhood. Yeah. This is well, so Well, I'd cool. rather be in this car than that one. Um, oh, Nice. That one was driving with the door open. That's not safe at all. No. <laughs> oh, we've got the turn indicator. This is absolutely wild. Okay, it got in the other lane when it saw a bus was merging in. It does make me feel a lot safer that there are virtually no other cars on the road. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. Okay, I don't know why it's shifting lanes, but it is. One of the other things that I like is that on the front panel, it tells us our estimated time of arrival. 
I think it drives in the right lane by default mm. because I think it goes slower than most of the traffic on the road. It's only going 30 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. Oh, you're right. Highly observant. Okay, so it might have some trouble dealing with D.C. and Maryland drivers where they're going 50 in the right lane. That is exactly, true. yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is why you don't find driverless cars on the beltway of D.C. Notice that he didn't say Virginia drivers. <laughs> they're bad you, in their own unique for ways. For those of you in the DMV, that's a, a hard joke right there. <laughs> To be fair, they couldn't drive in Virginia because it's nothing but highways anyway. Be a little hard for it. There's plenty of non-highway in uh, Virginia. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but no, it seems like this could be pretty useful for people with disabilities. I don't know if they have a wheelchair accessible version of it. There wasn't like a lift or anything like that attached to it, but if you're blind or don't drive for a variety of other reasons, mm -hmm. seems like it's a pretty good option, and... Okay, we're coming up to a stoplight in a fairly busy intersection and some exits to get on a highway. It is definitely taking the long way back. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just realized that it also... Oh, yeah, yeah here, get that on the... Yeah, there's an animated map oh, cool. that shows what it sees yeah and the traffic signal and the other cars it shows where they're turning the ones that are stationary wow Raquel is it recording it's on your doesn't end have or? son of a gun no it's not <laughs> we were just saying how you know for a lot of people with disabilities if you're blind or low vision if, you know even if you have an anxiety disorder and don't want to have to interact with a driver get in a stranger's car while well, there's no stranger here it's just a machine driving you not quite sure what to make of that but it is pretty cool yeah jack i'm glad you talked us into this this was i'm so excited very excited i would have done this just to do it <laughs> with no but destination so not only do we have a destination we have the bonus of you being on the pod <laughs> It's too bad there's not narration available. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Then that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because not only is there no narration, I wonder if, because the screens are all in English, I wonder if there is a way of customizing it for other languages. Well, let's see. There's a menu. Oh. Um, map view about this, writing tips, camera. Oh, we are being recorded by it. Doesn't look like yeah. there's another language option, okay. but it, which is kind of odd given that it is in Phoenix. You do have a large uh, Spanish-speaking population here. Yes. Well, and more importantly, for anyone with visual disabilities, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. would not be able to keep track of this Correct. display screen. Yeah, that is true. I'm not seeing any sort of, I mean, A, it doesn't narrate automatically, and I'm not seeing any sort of enable voiceover option. No. Right. I mean, if Google Maps can talk to you, or Waze can talk to you, surely this driverless car could talk to you. Right. Yeah, definitely yeah. And it could. had a welcome message when we got in. We were kind of talking over it. It is definitely staying off the main roads. I do find that interesting and probably safer. Yes. It does take a lot longer. On the plus side, at least for now, while it's in the demo stage, uh, for folks who are lower income, I did notice that this costs less than a um, competing rideshare company uh, from the same location we were leaving back to our hotel. Interesting. And 
Well, I guess you don't have to tip it. <laughs> it's not going to lower your Uber rating if you don't tip the robot. So that's a nice bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've heard of any of these driverless vehicles being wheelchair accessible yet. No, no. I would certainly hope that that would be high on the priority list. Yes. And other mobility aids. I mean, if somebody uses a walker, right? Um, anything that could be collapsed and put in the trunk, there's no obvious. I wonder way if you can call one from that. the airport. Oh, because the airport's pretty congested. I think yeah. it would be a high traffic area. I wonder if it would even go there. Ooh, that's a good point. Well, we're all leaving tomorrow, so maybe somebody will give that a give that a whirl. Oh, oh. Don't forget your belongings. Nice. Okay, thank you, uh, self-driving car, for guesting on for the pod. Safety, the doors will remain locked when we arrive. Pull the handle twice to exit. Oh. The first pull unlocks. The second opens the door. Oh, it's so cool. Okay, interesting. It? It's letting us out here right. and not pulling into the hotel. Okay. Okay, yep. Drive All right, that All right. is it. Please make sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's take a... Uh... All right. <clears throat> So cool. Totally not at all jealous that I wasn't there when you guys got to ride the autonomous vehicle. That's fine. No, it's fine. I'm totally not jelly. It's cool. Whatever. Um, anyway, moving on. Stephanie. Oh, no. Why? Why do I do this to myself? Stephanie, do you have a joke for this episode? Yes, I do have a joke today. And it's a good one. Why don't oysters donate to charity? Why don't they donate to us? Why? Because they're shellfish. Oh my goodness. That answer. I knew the answer to that one and I couldn't get to the unmute button because my one note was blocking my Zoom. I'm so mad. I'm so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Maybe you'll know next next time. <laughs> All right. Uh, Wait, thank you for listening to maybe the least organized episode of the Panda Pod ever. Um, do, please do not email podcast at ndrn.org because I went into a Hulk like rage at the end of an episode. I am here to issue a formal apology. Stephanie, fabulous joke this month. Please, please don't email us at podcast at ndrn.org. Jeff, where can they follow us on social media? You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can now follow us on threads where every day I am annoying Mark Zuckerberg until he rolls out accessibility features. Woohoo! All right. Thank you, folks. Until next time.